everyone. If you would, please be making your way into the auditorium and finding a seat if you haven't already done so. And once you find a seat and get really comfortable in it, now I'm going to invite you to stand up and find somebody to greet and let them know that you are glad they're at the West Irwin Church of Christ this morning. Welcome to all. Let's all sing together. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, he who died. Heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin. Let his little child come in. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Jesus, take this heart of mine, make it pure and holy thine. On the cross you died for me, I will try to live for thee. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Amen. Please be seated. Why did the Savior covenant leap and come to earth below, where men his grace would not reap, because he loves me so? He loves me, he loves me, he loves me, this I know. He gave his to die for me because he loves me so. Why did the Savior mark the way and why temptation know? Why teach and
here at West Irwin and those who are live streaming and the elders names along with their phone numbers are on the front page of the bulletin and we feel free to call with any concerns you may have and also you can submit your requests using our West Irwin app in the section for prayer requests and there are options only for elders only for ministers or only to elders and ministers or you can select uh, your prayer request to be sent to the entire congregation. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Father, we humbly come to you and acknowledge you as a creator of everything, putting into motion the seasons upon this earth. Now as we look around us, we see spring bursting out and new beginnings. And God, we know that you love us and sent your only son, Jesus, to die for us so that we ourselves can have a new beginning. Father, we thank you for the avenue of prayer where we can bring our requests before you. We bring these names before you now and ask you for your healing touch to be upon them. Karis Minks, Mother, Elizabeth, Betsy Berryman, J.D. Osborne, Joyce Allen, Debbie Jones, Fred Wingate, Terry Frick, Dale and Doc White, Bud and Charlotte's Collier's friend, Mary Wingo. We pray for all those listening on our prayer and care list. We also pray for all of the unspoken prayer requests, as you know, all of our needs. Father, as we weep with those who weep, we ask you to provide peace and comfort to the families that have recently lost loved ones. The Roland family, Jessica Smith and Perday family, Joyce Allen and Long family, and the family of former member Bill Whitaker. We are grateful for those in the military or healthcare workers, teachers, and all who are willing to help others. Please bless us with government leaders who will restrain evil, uphold your word and righteousness, and keep your name holy. Father, be with all of us here at West Irwin, our elders, deacons, staff, ministers, 
teachers and each individual member. May we all encourage and spur one another on to good works, not growing weary and doing good. And we are grateful for those who joyfully behind the scenes are doing good without expecting any recognition from others. Father, we pray for strength to resist evil, that desire to enter our lives, our homes, and this land we live in. We ask for a hedge of protection around us and our families. For you, God, are our refuge and place of safety. We ask you to bring a youth minister to the attention of our search committee, one who will encourage our youth's hearts to be consumed, to daily do your will. Father, we are so pleased to have Bill Allen here with us at West Irwin. Bill uses his talents and skills, preaching your word in season and out of season with humility. Bless Bill today as he presents your word. May each of us desire to have ears open to hearing your word and eyes focus upon you alone. And God, may we take Paul's charge to Timothy, found in 1 Timothy 6.11, personally, to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Father, during this worship time, help clear our minds from the distractions of life so that we worship you in spirit and truth. And when we leave, may we be revived, united to love you with all of our hearts, souls, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Brethren, I know David is one of our elders, but what a beautiful prayer. Thank you, David, for leading us to the throne of God. To prepare our minds for the taking of the Lord's Supper and sing together, Why did my Savior come to earth? church. As we gather in this time to partake of the communion supper in remembrance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I would like to direct your attention to 1 John chapter 4 verses 8 and following, verses 7 and following. Beloved, let us know, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God had sent his only begotten son into the world that he might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. One of the songs in our book is, If That Isn't Love. I'd like to read that verse to you. He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. Even in death, he remembered the thief hanging by his side. He spoke with love and compassion. Then he took him to paradise. If that isn't love, then the ocean is dry. There are no stars in the sky, and the sparrows can't fly. If that isn't love, then the heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this if that isn't love. Join me in prayer, please. Father God, you bless us so well. We are indeed thankful for that. We're thankful, Father, for your sacrifice for sending Christ to the cross so that we might have a heavenly home with you. As we partake of this bread, Father, it represents Christ's body that he shed for us, and we pray that we do so in a manner pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name. Amen. Again, pray with me, please. Father, this fruit of the vine represents the blood that Christ shed for us, that once and for all, our sins would be forgiven. Please help us to be mindful of this as we partake. In Jesus' name, amen. We now have an opportunity to return some of the monetary blessings that God has bestowed us with. There's a number of ways that we can do that. If you're present with us this morning, you may deposit your contribution in the uh, baskets in the foyer. Uh, You can mail your contribution to the office. You can drop your contribution off at the office. Or uh, if you're worshiping with us online, uh, you can make your contribution uh, on the internet. Each Sunday we've been emphasizing uh, one of the areas of uh, works that the church is involved with. And this morning we would like to emphasize the Tuesday Lunch Bunch. Tuesday Lunch Bunch has been um, a labor of love for many people for several decades here at West Irwin. And we have had multiple people involved uh, in the past and even on today. I would like for those who are serving now, or if you have served in the past, 
If it's convenient, would you please stand? If it's not convenient, would you just raise your hand? We'd just like to recognize you. We have several people that uh, serve as cooks. We have people that serve as administrators. We have people that serve as drivers. And uh, it's a very uh, uh, efficient operation and it's very meaningful to those people that we deliver meals to. Thank you. is our usual custom, we'll remind you that the contribution is available for you at the back of the auditorium if you'd like to make a contribution. If you've already done so, we thank you. In the meantime, we'd like to encourage you to stand for the singing of our song before the lesson, and we ask that all of our young people, I see they're already on the move, make their way to our children's Bible hour at last. Let's sing together. Tell me the story of Jesus right Story so tender, clearer 
the never I see, stay. Let me weep while you whisper. Love paid the ransom for me. That is the story of Jesus. And we've sung some great hymns today that remind us of his love for us and of the call to share that love with others. Um, The Tuesday Lunch Bunch does that in a very practical, concrete way. I'm so glad that our brother Eric Mosley that puts these together included a slide of the drivers. And I know those four men, I know their hearts, and I know that they're not doing this simply because of the homemade goodies that they were indulging in as we watched on that picture. Uh, I'm sure that that's not the primary reason why you guys do that. I know that. I know that. However, now that we have seen that, we may have several volunteer to be involved to help deliver food on Tuesday mornings now. So that might not have been a bad promo after all. Uh, We are doing these um, looks and highlights of our different ministries. There are lots of things that we have going on, and a lot of us don't know a lot about some of them. And that's why we're trying to do this. And one of the uh, reasons, one of the results that happens from that is perhaps others who say, you know, I could do that. I've been wanting to do something to help and get involved in some way. And so if you see something that you want to be involved in or have a question about anything, then please give us a call here at the office. Let me know. Let one of our deacons or elders know. And we'll be glad to put you to work and uh, to give you an opportunity um, to serve. Well, don't raise your hands, but how many of you remember the Smothers Brothers? I said don't raise your hands because that dates us a little bit, and we go back to the 70s. Um, But uh, they had a little skit, a little uh, situation that they did between them, Tommy and Dick Smothers. And so I want to begin today by talking about the Tommy Smothers Syndrome. And this is when he would always say to his brother, Mom always liked you best. And they went back and forth on that as to who Mom liked best. And it seems that we too are concerned with this issue, and unfortunately, when it comes to God. We get the feeling and we try to have uh, some sense of fulfillment or desire to share with others that God actually likes us better than somebody else. And I'm here today to tell you that's not true. (laughs) That's just not true. The songs that we've sung about how much Jesus loves me tell us that Jesus loves us all. And he doesn't love anybody any more than anybody else and he doesn't love anybody any less than anybody else. That is a human thing. We want God to like us best, and we forget that those who are saved are all recipients of the righteousness of God that comes the same way, by faith in Christ Jesus. I think this is a a special temptation that Satan gives and attacks those who are faithful uh, about to try to persuade us that God likes us better than others, that we are better than others. And that is simply not true. The reason we're saved is one reason and one reason only, and that is because of the grace and mercy of our Father God who gave his one and only Son to die on the cross for us. And that's why we are in a good relationship with Christ. We have responded in faith to that, And Paul, as he talks in Ephesians 2 and in Titus 3, even says even our response of faith is something that we should see as a gift from God, and we can take no glory in that as well. This is the message of the book of Romans, that we are righteous because of faith in Christ Jesus and in what he did. For the first century church at Rome, the application of that issue that we have seen now about to finish 11 chapters worth, the application of this issue was the Jew versus Gentile question. For 2,000 years, they had been all Jews, sons, uh, sons and daughters of Abraham. They all traced their genealogy. If they wanted to be a part of the Jewish nation and they weren't, then they had to go through a special process to do that. 
to become Jews, basically. And now with the advent of of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, the beginning of the church, that was no longer a distinction. As Peter baptizes Cornelius and his family in Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are welcomed into the church without having to become Jews. But it wasn't seamless. (laughs) You can't just erase 2,000 years of history and think, okay, great, we're all going to get along perfectly now. It didn't happen. And much of the New Testament, and especially the New Testament letters, all of that is written because of that issue, because they had trouble getting along. And that was certainly the case in the capital city of the empire, the city of Rome itself. It may be that this question is at the heart of Paul's letter to the Romans and much of the rest of the New Testament. It is certainly the focus as we look at Romans 9 through 11 today. This is a very difficult passage, Romans 9 through 11, and I'm going to cover it all together because it's all related to the same topic. And that topic is how do we get along being from different ethnic and religious backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles. Of course, there's application for us today because we're a church full of people with different religious and ethnic backgrounds. (laughs) And so it's very appropriate for us. But I think the way we do that is the same way Paul does it with the book of Romans. He does it by having chapter after chapter after chapter establishing that we are all justified by faith in Christ, that we have the righteousness that comes from God, not from ourselves, through Jesus Christ. And so whether Jew or Gentile, black or white, rich or poor, male or female, none of those things matter in our relationship to God and in our standing with God. And that sometimes is what we forget. And when we forget that, then we have the Tommy, brother, the Tommy Smothers syndrome. We think God likes me best because I'm better, because I'm more righteous, because I've been around longer, because I haven't been around as long, whatever it might be, we begin to feel God likes me best. And that's exactly how many of the Christians at Rome felt. Same with Ephesus. Same with Colossae. Same with so much of what the New Testament shares. And so let's do a little bit of a summary look at these three chapters and try to avoid the Tommy Smothers syndrome. The way Paul begins is simply with this. He announces that he himself loves his people. He talks about his own love for the Jews. Paul's love for the Jews is where this passage begins. It's where it begins. In Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Skipping over to chapter 10, reading verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Paul himself describes himself uh, to the Philippians. And as he writes to Timothy, same thing, using different terms. But he says, I'm a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. You can't get any more Jewish than Saul of Tarsus, <laughs> Paul says. That's who I am. But he says, I love my people. I love my people. And Paul did. In fact, he loved them so strongly that he said, I would wish myself accursed and cut off from Christ if it meant their salvation. If I could trade my eternal soul for all of theirs, I would do it. 
I would do it. That's how much he loved his people. And remember, his people had brought about the crucifixion of Christ. Paul himself, in the name of his Jewish heritage and faith, had sought to destroy the church until he met Jesus face to face. Paul had great love for the Jews, and he announced that love. He preached to the Jews over and over again, risking his life to give them the gospel. Paul's strong and fervent desire for his own people, the Jews, was that they would be saved. And he's going to say this again later, but he felt they were blessed because of their history. They were blessed because through Abraham, there had been so much great history of the people of God. They were blessed because they brought about the Messiah. But for Paul, that's where it ends. They're not automatically better than anybody else because of that. They're blessed because of that. But they're not saved because of that. His practice through all of his journeys was to go first to the local synagogue and the Jews, then to the Gentiles. He tried everything in his power to bring about the salvation of his people. Paul's love for the Jews was clear. He goes on in chapter 9 and really throughout the next few chapters to talk about God's sovereign choice. And this is one of the reasons why I think these three chapters are so hard, so difficult, because they talk about God's sovereign choice. If we believe that God is God and we're not, if we believe that God is sovereign, then we believe that God can make decisions about how to bring about his will. And sometimes we understand those decisions and sometimes we don't. But they're God's decisions to make, God's sovereign choice. Throughout chapter 9 and really throughout chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul quotes from the Old Testament. What he's saying is this should not have surprised any of us. It surprised me, Paul could say, but it shouldn't have. Because from the time of the earliest prophets, God was saying time and time again, I'm going to make you a light for the Gentiles. I'm going to reach out to everyone, even those who are not called my people, and call them my people. We see in this passage in Romans 9 that God did not choose the Jews for salvation. He chose them. They're his chosen people, but not for salvation. He didn't choose the Jewish nation to be saved. He didn't choose Abraham to be saved. He he chose him, choosed him, good thing I'm educated. He chose him in order to bring about the blessings of, through ultimately through Jesus Christ, but specifically through the people of God, through the people of Israel. They're all descendants of Abraham. And so in Genesis 12, he tells him, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make your descendants great. There's going to be lots of them. Even when he didn't have any yet through Sarah, like the sands of the sea, like the stars in the sky. And I'm going to bless every person through your descendant. Paul in Galatians says he's talking about Jesus of Nazareth there, a descendant of Abraham. God's sovereign choice was to choose Abraham over every other person that lived on the earth at that time. And then when Abraham had children, Ishmael was his oldest, and yet God chose Isaac through his mother Sarah, Abraham's son. God chose Isaac over Ishmael. When Isaac and Rebekah finally had children, they had twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the oldest. God chose Jacob. For salvation? No, not at all. (laughs) And any cursory reading of those chapters in Genesis, Jacob was kind of a bad guy. There was a lot going on there that was not right. And yet God chose Jacob through whom to bring about his people and his nation, and ultimately, again, Jesus Christ. We could say that God chose Judah, one of the sons of Jacob, over all of his other children to be the one through whom God would bring about not just the line of David, but Jesus himself. Paul reminds us that God chose Pharaoh to accomplish his will. 
And he, and he works a little bit with that. And he says, look, God can choose whoever he wants to choose. And some, some people he chooses to uh, provide for his will and his glory in a, in a good way. And some people are dead set against God and God still chooses them and God still uses them. And that's what happened with Pharaoh. God chose David, the man after his own heart, who was far, far from an example of great faithful obedience. We get that. Reading in Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. Romans 9, verse 19. One of you will say to me, since it's God's sovereign choice, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? (laughs) Good question. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common uses? What if God, verse 22, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? The question comes, look, if it's God's sovereign choice, then why am I held accountable? It's kind of the precursor to what we hear today. Look, God just made me that way. (laughs) Okay, sure. God made you perhaps with a, a, a special difficulty and temptation to lie. God made you with a special temptation uh, to uh, commit sexual immorality. God made you with a special temptation to gossip or slander. None of those things is right. And none of those things are justified because that's how God made me. That's what Paul is saying here. We can't look to God and his sovereign choices and say, well, then it's your fault, not mine. You did this. Because God doesn't make those choices for the sake of salvation. He makes those choices to accomplish his will. That's why all the other people on earth could have served the God of creation just as well as Abraham did. All of the others, Esau versus Jacob, Judah versus all of the rest of his brothers, Isaac versus Ishmael, they all are seen in realizing that God chose individuals for a specific purpose, but not for salvation. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy 7 verses 7 and 8 says, God chose the Jews because he loved them. And that doesn't mean he didn't love anybody else, but he chose them because he loved them. And he chose them to carry out his purposes through them. Not to save them. He would save them based on their faith and their obedience. He chose them and went into covenant with them so that through them, the Savior would come. But verse 22 says, even God making his sovereign choices chose to be patient. We're reminded of the great passage in 2 Peter 3 when Peter says, look, the only reason the world is not destroyed right now is because God is patient. And he wants people to come around. He wants people to turn to him to stop doing evil and to learn to do right and to come to trust in his son. And Paul affirms that in Romans 9, verse 22. God's sovereign choice. And this is another one of God's sovereign choices, that if we will be righteous, we will be righteous by faith. He's already announced this, but the righteousness of God that comes by faith in Jesus Christ, not by our obedience, because we disobey. And once you disobey once, you can't be saved based on your obedience. That's the thing about law. And that's why we're so glad that we're not saved because of law keeping, because we would all be lost. And Paul has talked to great lengths about that and continues that in this section before he finally turns the page in chapter 12 which we begin looking at next Sunday. Righteousness by faith. This is how Romans chapter nine ends, beginning in verse 30. What then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? A righteousness that is by faith. 
But the people of Israel who pursued the laws, the way of righteousness, have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling block as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him, the stumbling stone that so many fall and trip over, those who will believe in him will never be put to shame. Why is it that the Jews are lost if they're lost? Because they did not have faith. Why is it that the non-Jews, the Gentiles are lost if they are lost? Because they did not have faith. Righteousness comes by faith. And then in chapters 10 and 11, he begins to speak about the core of the gospel. In chapter 10, beginning at verse 1 that we read earlier, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The righteousness of God comes through faith. It comes to those who will believe. And Paul again speaks about the Jews and he says they're very passionate. They believe strongly in what they uh, believe in and they act on it. But he says their belief and their zeal and their passion is not based on knowledge. And we forget that sometimes, especially in our country today. We think that passion is... It doesn't matter what you believe in, just so you're passionate about it. Just so you lived your life with passion. That's not enough. That's not enough. The men who flew those planes into the Twin Towers on 9-11 in 2001 had passion. They believed strongly in what they were doing, and they were wrong. They were wrong. Passion does not make up for disbelief and wrong belief. It doesn't excuse those who trust in Christ from not having passion, not being passionate about our beliefs. We have a lot to learn from some of these others, including the Jews. Paul says they're very passionate. They scream for the blood of Christ at Calvary. That's how passionate they were. But their passion couldn't save them because their passion was misguided. Their passion was not based on knowledge. And that's why what he's going to say in just a few moments in Romans 10 verse 17 is so crucial. Faith comes by hearing the message of Christ. If it's not faithful to the word, it doesn't matter how passionate you are. You're sinning. Because only through Christ and through the word of Christ comes salvation. The Jews never got that. They never got that. They had a zeal. They had a passion. But it was without knowledge. Then we continue on in Romans chapter 10. And we hear these great words beginning in Romans 10 verse 6. The righteousness that is by faith. Romans 10 verse 6 says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Questions the Jews might ask. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart, it's right there. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we immediately want to put disclaimers to that. 
Yes, but Bill, you need to talk about baptism. Okay, okay. You have to respond by faith. I get that. And baptism is a part of the response of faith. I get that. And Paul had said that in Romans 6. We die to sin. We're buried with Christ through baptism into death. We're raised to live a new life. I could quote you scripture after scripture that says the ones who truly call on the name of the Lord are the ones who respond by faith, believing in Jesus, repenting of their sins, confessing that faith, like it says here, and being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That's what scripture says. That's not Paul's point right now. Paul's point right now is to say, you have to believe. In order to be saved, you must be saved by faith, not by obedience to law, not because Abraham is your ancestor, not because of the things you've done. Scripture continues in verses 14 and 15 of Romans 10. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? For as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Why is this news so important? Because people will never find that fulfillment and that salvation in Jesus Christ without hearing that gospel and responding to it in faith. And so Paul says, look, we need to tell them. (laughs) We need to tell them. We need to share this message of love and faith with them. Because those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how can they do that unless they hear? respond. He continues on through the rest of this chapter, again talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and their response to the gospel. And it leads him to say this in Romans 10 verse 17, consequently faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God in the traditional King James translation. You can't separate that word and that message out. When we do that, then we're unfaithful. And that's how we have the Jews thinking they're better than everybody else. When in reality, all who are saved are saved by faith. That's what he began the the book with in Romans 1, talking about the gospel, ready to preach it at Rome. That's how he continued in Romans chapter 3, telling us that we're saved by grace through faith. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. So many other passages of Scripture that are listed on your outline that demonstrate that great point. And so a few other things quickly. Number one, or number four, salvation for the Gentiles. He's already talked about how His love for the Jews wants them to be saved. In Romans 11, he turns it over to the Gentiles and he says, I want them to be saved too. In fact, God provided a way. He tells the story of Elijah from 1 Kings 19 who thought he was the only one and was told, I've got 7,000 who are still faithful. Hang in there, Elijah. And he talks about this interesting discussion between natural branches and those grafted in. The Jews being the natural branches, but then they were cut off because of their disobedience and their lack of faith. And so the Gentile, the non-Jewish branches are, are grafted in. And he says that to offer humility and a warning to everyone. This is God's sovereign choice. You can't take pride in whether you are Jew or Gentiles. Paul sees this as the important context for all of the discussion that will come in how we treat each other. We treat each other with humility. Same issues for us today. So just as he talks about salvation for the Gentiles, he talks about salvation for the Jews in Romans 11 beginning in verse 25. And he speaks about how they have turned away from God, but they have the opportunity to be brought back to God because God wants them to be saved. And he's allowed the Gentiles to come in, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't love the Jews. He does. And so he shares that they're blessed because of their history. They're blessed and loved on account of the patriarchs. Romans 11, verse 28 
For God's gift and its call are irrevocable. It doesn't change anything, but it calls them to respond in faith today. Now, just as Paul would later say, God commands all people everywhere to repent. Jews respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ the same way everyone else does, by faith, in order to be saved. And so how does Paul end this great discussion He ends by throwing up his hands in doxology, in praise to God. After struggling with this in a very real and concrete way, he throws up his hands and he says, you know, I don't get all of this, but I don't have to. Praise be to God. Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul says, look, (laughs) I'm talking about something I don't understand, but I don't have to. I'll struggle with it. I'll deal with it. I'll try to come to terms with it. Some kind of resolution about it. But in the end... It's God's sovereign choice, and I trust God, and that's enough. That's enough. Praise be to God. The place of the Jews today, they are blessed because of the patriarchs, but they had that hardening of time, and then the Gentiles came in, and now all who are saved are saved because they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. We trust in a God that we cannot completely understand, and that is called Oh, we don't like it. It makes us nervous because we want to understand everything. We want to know everything. And it doesn't give us permission not to try and not to think and not to study. Paul has just spent three chapters on something he knew he couldn't figure out. And at the end of it all, he raises up his hands and he says, praise be to God. This is an amazing doxology inspired by God's divine wisdom and sovereign choice. Yet even more amazing is that God has forgiven sinners like me and like you. And so it's not a question of who God likes best. God loves us all. Jesus died for all. That's the message of the gospel. God chose the Jews with a special purpose to be the nation to receive the law and through them to bring the Savior, God's own Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. The truth is God loves everybody the same. He loves us so much, he gave his Son to die on the cross for us, all of us, Jews and non-Jews, Greeks and non-Greeks. And we remember those words in Romans 10, verses 8 through 17. It is with the heart that we believe. And are justified. It is the mouth that we, with the mouth that we confess and are saved. It is by turning to the word of God, the message of Christ. And so this morning I want to end our sermon reading this great words again from Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. If we can help you come to a good, close relationship with that God, come as we stand, sing our song together. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you glory full of victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power.
discussion with one of the, our men here. I was told we have scores of individuals who worship with us online. And so for those of you that are worshiping with us online, we want you to know we love you. You're a part of our family. We miss you being here in our presence. And we're glad you're online with us today. And for all of you that are here, our, our attendance continues to grow, doesn't it? And how encouraging it is to see so many faces that we love and cherish. We're glad that all of you are here. We're going to sing one verse of Jesus Loves Me, and then we'll be dismissed with our prayer that I have the privilege of leading. Let's sing together. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the praising you. But those moments as we think in our minds when we did the things we're most ashamed of, you loved us and forgave us. And you loved us all in the same way. We thank you and we praise you. We honor you. Nothing we can ever do can merit that, Lord. But help us live in such a way with a smile on our face and a song in our hearts that shows those who are around us that perhaps have not found that wonderful elixir of your grace that they might come to know more about you all because of what you've done for us we thank you in jesus precious name amen <clears throat>